Welcome to episode 61 of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. I'm Drew O'Grizzik. And I'm Alex Moxon. Hey, Alex. How was your week last week? Great week. Uh, really busy with work, going to lots of meetups, and uh, also coding progress. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about your coding progress. Sure. I'm focused on Node, GitHub, and Git. How much time are you actually spending on that, like devoted to your learning? We're so busy uh, with all our different client projects, meetups, and everything else that we do with the podcast. I probably have about four hours a week um, at most mm-hmm. to spend. Yeah, it's really nice if you have like a course or something or time actually Mm -hmm. set aside that you have dedicated to do something and you know you have to go there and you're doing it with other people. But learning on your own can be kind of hard and it can be really easy to be like, oh, I'm busy with work. I'm not going to do it and let those things slip. So how do you avoid that? For me, it's just keeping going, making sure that if I get stuck on something, maybe I move on, but I take on something else and then I go back to it and making sure that I'm always progressing. That's very cool. Do you have some examples of things that you've learned this week? You said Git, GitHub, and Node? Yeah. So I started off reading an article for, uh, it's called GitHub for Beginners, Don't Get Scared, Get Started. And it was a nice way to kind of show the landscape of what's involved. And uh, I've been also reading another book called ProGit. So what I've been doing with that is just really working with my own projects and some learning projects that we're doing with Tech. We're building out a project called Nobody Loves Timesheet. And uh, we're still kind of getting comfortable with working with Git and the versioning and what's involved. What's some of the meat of what you've learned? Really working with the internal projects. I'm trying to connect with the Meetup API to produce a list. Working with a, an API from the beginning, how that works. It's an interesting exercise for working with an API and it's a good place to start. So as I'm learning, um, I like being able to do things and see things put into practice. So the JavaScript tutorial that I completed, so that six-hour lesson, writing code and uh, making sure that it works and testing things, that was really helpful. So that's um, one of the things I'm trying to do is find examples and tutorials that I can work with. That's pretty awesome. I had a pretty interesting week, I think, as well. One of the things that I really noticed was we're pushing really hard when we have features, kind of doing double time or something to get a feature out the door in a couple of weeks. And then it's like people need some time to catch their breath, seem to relax a little bit. But what I've been doing is the opposite. So let's let's push really hard to go through this feature. But now we've got a bit of a quote unquote lull. That's the time to really put in the work and to really start saying, hey, we need some tests. We need to do this. And mm-hmm. so um, trying to trying to use that, trying to get as much done as possible in the time where we're not just trying to get a feature out tomorrow has been an incredibly great experience, actually, because we didn't have, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, we didn't have automated tests. We're building out this um, Rails backend mm-hmm. with all sorts of like crazy features and things. And we don't really have much confidence in what it does because we didn't have tests supporting it. Forget the automation. Mm-hmm. So that was something that we kicked off. We've got automated tests and we got re- really everybody on the team on board and actually having fun again because we're writing tests. We know what the code's supposed to do. Somebody pushes something. We're not like, what? What is this supposed to do? We can read their specs and say, here's what you're planning on this doing. Here's how it works. And we've been having like much more conversation in our pull requests. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun. It's been interesting. I'm really happy about that. Another thing that I, I came across was some interviewing stuff. We've been expanding and kind of growing our team quite a bit. And we talked about all sorts of things. Is it relevant to ask people to do a coding challenge? Well, what if they have code they can show you? Do you still get them to code? Do you get them to whiteboard something? Do you give them 
those sort of fizz-buzz type questions, does that matter? We had one person come in and do a walkthrough uh, of a code base that he'd worked on, and we kind of dived in and asked, kind of get to the meat questions. And I learned a lot, actually, about the way this person thinks, and I felt at the end of that, like, I can't wait to pair up with this person and solve problems, because that's going to be awesome. And if I have that feeling after talking to someone, I want to work with them. Yeah. And so we had a discussion with the team. And at first, a lot of people were like, no, I don't want to just look at their code. And then we kind of tried it out. And at least with that person, it worked really well. And so I'm pretty excited to get to work with them, which is awesome, I think. I also listened to a podcast related to that on the bike shed. And I thought that was really interesting because there are some people that I definitely look up to in the Rails community. And I'll put a link down below to that. It's interesting uh, with interviews. I think it's very important to have you know coding exercises and pairing exercises because ultimately you're working together as a team. So making sure that you understand the dynamics and making sure that that person is a good fit with your team and also understanding that that it's important to have differing perspectives. So you don't want to have... Why is it important to have differing perspectives? I think if you're all on the same team and you're all thinking exactly the same way, you're going to miss stuff. So it's having people that are respectful, but also different uh, in their opinions that will bring different perspectives. So I wanted to give a shout out to Talentful.ai. They're a local startup and they're doing some really cool stuff. They're just in their demo right now and we've been working a little bit with them. And what they do is they take contacts in your email list and they run them against some machine learning algorithms to see if they would maybe be a good fit. They check how active you are on Twitter or GitHub or LinkedIn. And I'm not sure what the data points are and whether they're sending them to some sort of cognitive service or not, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to find out. Um, So they give you a list. The list is really interesting and it shows kind of different points in your personality. And I found that some things that a lot of developers on our team show when we run it through is very, very high percentile uh, of challenge and authority and a very, very low percentile of emotion. I think those things kind of go hand in hand. You can check out demo.talentful.com. AI if you want to run your email address through those algorithms and see your results. So what about meetups last week? Well, I went to the Vancouver Tech Meetup, which you hosted at Beanworks, which was really awesome. That was a great event and a great space as well. So of course, I didn't bring a laptop. So I felt like a total fool sitting there trying to uh, uh, listen along. The, well, the funny <laughs> thing is, I guess, even if you didn't have a laptop, you still could have learned something. You can pair up with other people. And yeah. so that was fine. Yeah, I think sure. uh, Charles came as well. And I don't think he brought his laptop. Um, but he was very involved in it. I followed along, uh, making sure, uh, just seeing what issues we could solve. So we were looking at Mozilla's debugger.html, which was, it's pretty interesting. The idea was pulling out browser tools and being able to point them at any browser. Mm-hmm. And this was written in React. I was a little nervous because, you know, I'm not really much of a front end person. I haven't really played around with React. But when we actually started doing some of the, the demo stuff and Brian walked us through how you do a pull request, what I found was really cool was they were using something called flow. It's adding types to JavaScript. So you can say, you know, when you pass in a parameter, normally with just vanilla JavaScript, you pass in a parameter, it could be anything. You know, it's not being strict on if you pass me a string, I'm going to yell at you, or if you pass me an int, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't really matter. But with flow, you can specify that or annotate your types. So we walked through some of that, and I thought, should JavaScript have types? Should it not? Well, you get to choose, and that's kind of nice. Yeah, it was a great group. I very much look forward to the, the next meetup. We got seven pull requests in from that as well. 
What else did you get to? So I also went to the DDD CQRS event storming meetup. Um, what did you learn there? Well, we've changed our format up a little bit. So we're working on a project. Mm-hmm. It's a, a voting, an open source voting project. What we do as well is we talk about the concepts of event storming. So Adam Dimitrov will... Like which concepts that night? We give an overview to new people who are, are not accustomed to domain-driven design, command mm-hmm. query responsibility, segregation. I'm pretty familiar with it. We've mentioned it every time we've had the show. So we have a great idea of a general overview of what the meetup is. What I'm interested in is what did you discuss that night? What did you learn? Back to the format. We have a bunch of new people that are always joining. We want to make sure that they understand if they're totally new to event storming, what is this? How does it apply to the project? We have a 20 to 30 minute overview of what event storming is and what CQRS is and how how the design patterns are. And then from there, we talk about the project. And we'll be working on this project for a few months. So we've changed up the format from every three weeks to working on something where we're actually building a product. So we looked at a little bit at the code. Uh, we're going to get more involved in pair programming next week. We didn't get all that far, uh, but we did get started. Great. So I have absolutely no idea what you did and what you learned at that particular meetup. But I do have a general idea of what they do there, which I already had, and most of our listeners do as well, because we mention it every week. Right. Fair enough. Well, And any other meetups? Uh, those were the only two. So I went to something that I thought was really cool, the Vancouver Azure meetup, and yeah. they were talking about some of the cognitive APIs that they have. And it kind of just blew my mind, because, I mean, this has probably been around for a while, and it's maybe nothing new to a lot of people. But something that I really realized was... There's some really powerful APIs out there that crunch the numbers for us. They can give us some really interesting data. An example of that would be something like the facial recognition. If I go up to a kiosk and I want to order something, if that kiosk is sending pictures to this API of my face uh, as I'm clicking through things, they can see my level of engagement, maybe how happy I am with certain things. They could maybe even judge and say, oh, you're having a bad day. Maybe this product will help to cheer you up. And I think building something like that by leveraging those types of APIs would be relatively easy. It's a kind of small skill set that we need to just hit those APIs as opposed to building the algorithms and the machine learning that goes behind that. Another meetup that I went to was the Marlin Class, a great uh, social networking where you have developers and you have business people and startup people and definitely recommend it. That sounds pretty good. So it looks like that was the meetups for the week. Welcome to our guest interview portion of the podcast. Today with us, we have Renee Hildebrand, who's a technical writer at IT Glue. Welcome, Renee. Hi. Um, Hi. We also have a special guest host, Holly Peck, who's director of Revenue Code Vancouver. Hi, guys. Hi. Cool. So, Renee, um, how did you get into technical writing? Okay. So, um, I actually started in technical writing doing policies and procedures at a university. So it wasn't exactly, yay, you're doing technical writing. First, I started doing just really standardized processes and writing in a way that's very compatible with technical writing. And as I was doing that, we were launching a software product. So it all started to kind of come together that technical writing was my calling. <laughs> so, cool. so yeah, so I just started to explore it more. I knew some technical writers, but not really well. Um, so I had some understanding that it was a career that I could do. So I just eventually started to explore courses and um, yeah, did everything I could to get started in it. And it really was a bit of a push though, because you know, I'd kind of been doing so many other things in my career up to that point. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I wasn't really a writer at that point. I was more of an editor and I had a lot of technical skills, but the two never really existed together. So I had to push myself and get, um, yeah, and get buy-in from my boss at the time. And so, yeah, that's how I started. Very cool. Um, so what does a technical writer do? What do you do on a typical day and how does that change per client? 
Okay, so there is, uh, now that I'm actually working in software, I can say that it's uh, very different than when I started. I started, I was like, you know, anyway, that's a long story, but that was before and we were we were meeting with people and having these long conversations and drawing out all these processes. This now is, now I'm in an agile shop in a software company and every, everything that comes um, up as a new feature, I will see it in, in a board of some sort and know that that's the new feature and know basically when it might arrive and I'll prompt someone for a little walkthrough of the product. Mm -hmm. um, they'll show it to me. It's usually not done. So I'm sort of seeing what it looks like before it's, um, yeah, before it's ready to go. So I'll write a draft and it'll basically have a lot of holes. It'll have a lot of, I don't know what this is or if this will work when we go live. Mm -hmm. And as time moves on, I'm still just prodding people for questions. And then the product goes live. And usually within that day, I'll have seen it in action, like in our production environment. Mm -hmm. um, I'll talk to QA, who's tested the product, QA being our testers. And so they've gone through and they've done all the testing. And, and so I've just talked to people constantly until I know this is accurate. Very cool. Um, but there's more to it, but that would be your <laughs> high overview. Okay, so that would be creating technical documentation, then uh, documentation for the clients and user documentation. Is that right? Or Correct. So I'm in a software as a service um, uh, software product right now. Mm -hmm. And so we're our product is actually going to people in um, a very technical role themselves. Okay. So they kind of understand a lot of things. So we don't have to really explain things really like click here, click there. Mm -hmm. We have to give them a little bit of high level and a little bit of low level. But generally, we deal with a low level as it comes, like as you start to get more questions about this doesn't seem to, you know, do what I expected, you know, what is this button here do? So then we'll explain more. But so yeah, as as a person writing this material, you really do have to focus on who your end users are. And so knowing that they are technical, and they're, you know, they're not, um, you know, Google, oh, I was to Google, but you know, anyone that uses any kind of consumer product, you know, you're going to see a lot of hand holding through the product. So we're just always trying to walk that line of what do our users need to know to work this product well. So more of a, a guided tour rather than this is what this does, because assuming that they already have that knowledge. Yes, we're not trying to explain every element in the UI. It's mm -hmm. definitely, um, you know, a new feature would come live and you would look at, you know, what is the use case? So what are, what are the users trying to accomplish? What do I have to let them know? What are the things that may go wrong that they want to watch out for? Mm -hmm. So if something might actually destroy some data, you want to give them a heads up, like be, click this only when you're ready to do this. It may destroy data otherwise. Sure. Um, so you're just looking out for those signposts that you can provide that will stop someone from making a mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. It's a good you're always trying to find that balance of not going too detailed with people who don't have time to read the long form documentation. They want the, but then there is a lot of people who actually do want that information too. So in the end, what you're actually trying to do is find all the content um, uh, types, I think is the best term, which is, you know, you'll have your tutorial type material and then you'll have your reference material. API writers will probably be very familiar with that scenario. You'll have the hello world code and then you'll have your deep dive reference docs that show you every call that you can make and all the variables with those calls. So yeah, you're trying to provide those two views usually into whatever product you're doing, which okay. is actually what I'm doing right now as an API. <laughs> Very cool. Um, I have some some questions too. So what kind of tools do you use as a technical writer? 
Uh, so there is lots of tools that um, that have been built just for technical writing, Madcap Flare being one of them. And it's like a, it's a tool that will actually help you write and repurpose your content in different formats. So Very you could cool. have PDF and you could have HTML. Um, not sure what the other formats are. Um, but I haven't used that for a while. That's actually, I'm not sure if it's co completely falling out of favor, but there is some, you know, movement away from using those tools. And now a lot of technical writers will actually write with the developers and put it right into the code. You can. I mean, I don't do it that way currently. I'm actually working with um, Zendesk, which is a, oh, very cool. a CMS system, I guess that's what the best term. <laughs> um, but they uh, they provide like a very basic knowledge-based structure and then we just do our documentation there it's basic html and all that stuff but um then some technical writers do use those tools like that's not uncommon um especially in the software and service world i think you're trying to keep your ticket ticketing system and your knowledge-based system really close mm -hmm. um and as you're growing you know you may start to split that off we're starting to see that in my company now we're starting to find some other needs so we're doing like learn upon mm -hmm. which is a learning system and doing work in in a separate platform and bringing our content across so just really depends what the um what the overall need is. If I was doing something that I needed an HTML output, a PDF output, I would use Madcap Flare or something of that ilk, but I'm not. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So something I've kind of worked with as a developer is, you know, how to build products for access that who that are accepts, accessible, sorry, for, you know, greater audiences and especially disabled um, individuals. So have you ever had to, to engage or, or, you know, write uh, technical writing for, you know, accessibility or for, you know, disabled folks? And how, how do you do that? Um, not, I'm trying to think of a scenario in which um, specifically thinking of that. And the only thing in my current job, we did have someone who was reading a, uh, trying to review one of our videos. Okay. I don't create the videos, but okay. it was pr prior to my arrival, they had uploaded a video and it was pr fairly poor quality. Mm. And I'm not sure what happened, but it seemed to have been recoded in some way and it didn't have as good of quality and he couldn't read it. He had vision issues. So it did sort of spark my mind of, oh, you know, wow, I didn't really think of these high tech users that we had as having any kind of issues. So I haven't done anything beyond just taking down the videos and trying to make sure that that content just got, you know, written in text as mm. opposed to just being available in this video. Mm. Um, but we do, I think I deal mostly with language mm. differences. Mm. So I'll write things in super plain language. I'm trying to deal with, um, okay, so I'm trying to deal with uh, making sure that, you know, you're trying to write in a way that has a very standardized structure. It's plain gotcha. language. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a movement that is out there. You can research it. It's all over the web. But basically, you're just trying to write, write very simply, not use really big words, kind of write at a like sixth grade level, mm. um, but still be really, you know, well written. It doesn't right. have to sound like a child wrote it. Of course. It just, <laughs> it's just very plain. Like you're right. trying to just not add things that will confuse someone who's not a native English speaker or someone that, you know, maybe doesn't have great literacy as well. Mm. So because even our, though our users are technical, they may not actually be that, um, they may not have like a huge um, um, reading background or whatever you call sure. it. But yeah, um, yeah so I'm, I'm very cognizant of that a lot. Like I spend a lot of time thinking about that. Yeah, there was one other thing I was going to say. In the past, I actually did some volunteer work for a senior center, though, and that was super interesting. I was trying to get some experience writing for different audiences. And wow, I, cool. And that was where I really started to hear what it's like for someone who doesn't have the same kind of you know, mental capacity, it really does change over your time, lifetime. And so explaining things was a whole different ball game. Sure. Yeah. 
Wow, that's amazing. So you so you mentioned something about you know really understanding your audiences or you know audiences in, in the plural sense. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? You know when you're working in an agile environment. Um, well, so in my current company, it's been actually quite funny because we have a very niche audience. Um, it's so IT glue. That's where I work currently. Most of our clients in my current company are actually people who are from a managed services background, which mm-hmm. is um, a whole field for people who need um, like an in-house technical person, but they are so small, they don't really have the resources. So they hire a managed services provider and they provide, you know, some support and also some really advanced knowledge because they'll know like if you want to go in the cloud and you're a small office, you know, doing that on your own quite could be quite overwhelming if you're not technical. So Absolutely. nonprofits use man- managed service providers. A lot of people use them. So that was actually where my CEO started was with that background. And then he started this company on his own. And as it grew, he started hiring all of us. And here we are today. So anyway, the whole background of managed service provider, we're literally on top of the other company. It's like our neighbor. Um, so whenever I had questions, especially when I started, I would just mm-hmm. go over there and walk through their space, ask all their all their staff questions, talk to them. Also, <laughs> Oddly enough, Reddit. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Reddit has a very active RMSP group. And I went in there and I just read and read and read and they would talk about our products. So I would see exactly what they said. And um, yeah, so it's been, you know, you just have to keep your ear out there to know. I I mean, I could go talk to some of our clients one-on-one, but there's a lot of people in my company that have even worked in our MSP. So mm-hmm. it's I'm around people all the time that are in that sphere. So so how have you seen the, you know, technical writing field change in the last uh, 10 years, maybe with, you know, the advent of new tools or, um, you know, greater interest in technical writing? How, how have you seen that evolve? I'm not a hardcore tools person, okay. but I know that there are a lot of hardcore tools people that would talk to you a lot about that, about Ditta and oh, wow. I think it was like a movement to break up your content in ways that you could then read. Um, but it takes a lot. Huh. Like you know, you're not yeah. So I think with the movement towards agile, that has kind maybe sort of sort of spelled a little bit of a not so useful because it takes so much planning to do Ditta well, from my understanding. So yeah. So you now I feel like we're agile. We're comp- technical writers themselves. We're agile. So we're trying to be in the room, cool. in the scrums and everything, and be embedded in the in the teams. Whereas in the past, I think there was probably a little bit more of a you know technical writers are over there and the developers are over here. So I'd say that that's probably the major one is that we're now usually embedded in the in the in the agile teams. So with IT glue, um, are you guys hiring? Y- yes, I'm I'm trying to remember what we are actually hiring for. I think it's front end developer and back end developer, senior back end developer. Um, we've been growing so fast. We had when I started, we were about eight people. And then I arrived with about 12 other people. And I think we were at 20 at that point. And that was a year ago, and now we're at about 50. So oh, wow. it's a pretty fast growth. And um, I anticipate, you know, we'll probably uh, grow our office space. Well, we actually already have our office space. So we're trying to, um, yeah, find more. Well, I shouldn't say find, trying to find more space. We will actually have more space because we're growing so fast. And um, yeah, a lot of other positions are on there. I'm not sure what um, would be on your audience's radar, but I think there might be some sales and channel executive type Mm -hmm. roles. Um, But I would imagine, you know, pretty much almost all the roles will will start to need more people as we grow. That's awesome. And what's the company culture like? What uh, what primary values uh, make IT glue? So we have 
um, a whole list of them, which I'm going to get <laughs> very forgetful at this moment. Um, I'll give them to you later and we can put them in the, in the notes Shut maybe. Up. But um, a big one for me right now is design. I'm really, um, yeah, I've spent a lot of time working with uh, our designer this last week. So I'm very aware of that one. But I'd say most of the common ones, empathy and trust were very, you know, very um, working towards all those, well, not working towards them. We're very embracing of all the very good values there are um yeah and it's been a really um really great like environment their people are so technically proficient from even from the msp standpoint that they have the managed services provider standpoint they have such great knowledge and it's been like the the best learning experience because you're not dealing with a startup where people are really trying to learn they already sort of know quite a bit mm -hmm. they're still learning a lot but they already know quite a lot and it's just like how do we sort of build this product with all this knowledge right so do you are there any meetups around town that you go to all the time well i shouldn't say all the time but i all the time i do attend one particular one it's the um content strategy meetup i don't know if you guys have heard of that one because it's not it's not specifically a technical writing one and it's not specifically a development one, but there are some um, information architects and user experience people that attend. It's actually really useful. It's been so strong as a meetup. I'm like, why don't they charge for this thing? Because it's been so great. I've been going for three years. And um, when I started, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty much the same group, I guess, but it was run by the information architect who started it. She's now passed it to um, a woman who's in a user experience. So it's had a bit more of a user experience bent lately, but still has a lot of content strategy, which if you don't know content strategy, it's okay. It's a very new field. When you're doing content strategy, you're really doing the same things that technical writers do, but technical writing and information architecture and instructional design, all of these fields overlap a lot. Like right. they deal with the same type of issues. Mm -hmm. Like how do you present information? Who's the audience? <laughs> you know. So there's so many meetups that all of these different fields have. Um, this one just happens to be a kind of amalgamation of a lot of different interests which okay. I find really interesting so in content strategy is very rare to find anything on so I'm religious with going to theirs um, and they're having one on Monday, uh, Tuesday Tuesday and yeah it's a it's a great one um, so there's another conference that you are part of so the world IA day in 2017 which is on the 18th of February could you tell us a little bit more about it yeah so I'm not I actually am going to the preview of it on Tuesday so I, I, the reason I'm going to World IA Day is that I feel it's a really useful skill when you work in software to understand how information is organized. And that's what information architecture really means to me is how do you kind of pick the highest level navigation element on your site versus, you know, the lower level ones? How do you plan a customer journey? You know, all of that stuff is really high level thinking, which I think is what information architecture is. So I'm still learning that area. And that's why I want to go to that one. So if people want to reach out to you and reach out to your company, uh, what's the best place to do that? Um, to me, um, I'm on LinkedIn for sure. That would be the best place for me. And uh, for my company, I think they're also on all social media. So they're definitely really accessible. Um, but yeah, if you want to reach out to me i think uh i'm i'm even have my email address on there so you're welcome to send me a note if you're looking for um um kind of a coffee meeting with an introduction to what we do at it glue well thanks so much for being on the show really appreciate your time thank, thank you. you so much renee it was very informative thank you
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR Dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Van Tech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van Devs. Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Parkitect. See you at one of the meetups around, around town. town.